Welcome to Network Neighborhood, where we talk to folks in the IT industry about being human. And today we welcome Ramzi Marjaba, a hybrid sales engineer at Ixia Solutions Group at Keysight Technologies. Ramzi is also the creative power behind WeTheSalesEngineers.com, a career-oriented resource site for sales engineers. And there's a blog there and a podcast and more. Uh, Ramzi, welcome to Network Neighborhood. Um, and uh, let's just start off with the obvious. Who are you and what do you do? Give us like the big 10,000-foot overview. Sure thing. Well, thanks for having me. I, I want to start off by saying you're the first person to ever, ever call me creative. So thank you for that. <laughs> hey, man, you made that. a thing that makes you a creator by definition. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, my name is Ramzi Majaba. I'm uh, a husband of uh, two, a father, no, husband of one, father of two. There you go. And uh, on the side, I'm a sales engineer for uh, Keysight, which you already talked about. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much what I do. I work in test and measurement industry. Yep. Okay. Now, uh, how did you get a job as a as a sales engineer? Because uh, initially, the the backstory you told me is you didn't even really know what a sales engineer did. No, it it, it made to an inter- interesting interview when I when I uh, went there. So, I I was working for a big corporation, a big networking co- corporation, and uh, when you work for a big network, I came in as a junior uh, engineer, junior support engineer in a company that was not really doing great. It was through during the rough times in 2009. And I didn't get a raise for a long time. So I started applying to any job I can find because I believe you're responsible for your own happiness. And if you can't provide for your family, you need to do something about it. I applied to a lot of jobs and then I got an interview for a sales engineer with a, with a company called Spirant Communications where I, I, I didn't know what sales engineering was. I think I dealt with one or two sales engineer, but I didn't know what they did. I thought they were salespeople because the people I dealt with were not very technical. Uh, and then I went for the interview, figured it out on the spot. I was being asked questions about account management and uh, regional sales managers and I have no idea what they were, but I I, I kind of asked questions during the interview, figured out what they was, and I, I got the job somehow. So they, they decided you had enough about you to, uh, to, to I guess, do, would you feel like they took a chance on you? Well, well it's always a chance when you hire uh, a sales engineer who doesn't have any sales engineering experience. Most companies right now try to hire people with experience as a sales engineer. But I brought some things to the table where I was personable. They liked me. Obviously, they hire people they like. Mm-hmm. And I also worked for their major customer. So I brought insight into that company. Okay, and that uh, I find a lot of sales engineers do that. They go from a customer to a vendor. Hmm. Well, all right. Now you you have been a sales engineer for a while. In fact, you you've gotten into the role so much. You've got this your own uh, website and community. We the sales engineers. Um, so uh, I, I'm going to look to you to educate us in this conversation about what a sales engineer really does and the role that you play within the organization, how you relate to the customer, uh, and so on. Um, and, and let's start here with um, with with a sales funnel. So I, I, as a small business owner, have had to understand sales and the sales process a bit. Um, and by a funnel, I mean um, like like the sales cycle. You know, you got some people that are maybe candidates to buy the product that you represent, and then that they're kind of at the top of the funnel there. And then at the bottom, they've been qualified, and now it's just, are you going to buy it or not? You you kind of get them to the bottom of the sales funnel. Can you can you describe that from your perspective? And then where in the funnel you, as a sales engineer, are likely to engage with a potential customer? Sure. So in big companies, there are many people who get engaged in the sales funnel. So let's start off with someone, 
wants to go in and uh, get some information about uh, what's the topic that your listeners do, like segment routing or like some form of routing technology. Sure. They want that information. They go on a website. They find information on Cisco's website. They go in. They have, there's a white paper. They put in their email and download that white paper. So that person now becomes a lead mm-hmm. and they're at the top of the funnel. So then there comes a, a business representative or a business development, whatever you want to call them, they call them up. So if that person is a lowly engineer who has no decision power, they disqualify that lead. But mm-hmm. if they do, they drop down in the funnel. So now that's a qualified lead, somewhat qualified lead. And as you can see now, you already weeded out some of the people who are not qualified. Then this information gets passed on to a salesperson, a local account manager, if you will, who would then call them up, check for budget, check for timeline, Mm -hmm. and qualify them even further. Because they might be interested, but if they don't have money to buy, then uh, it's a waste of time for both companies to keep going through the sales cycle. If it's qualified, again, we weeded out some of the people who who cannot buy, and now we have an actual qualified lead. At this point, that's where the sales engineer gets involved in most companies, where the sales engineer and the salesperson go to a meeting with the customer and they do a discovery call. The discovery call is about trying to find out what the problem that the customer is facing. Why did the customer want to see them? What, what problem they want, they want solved? And if that company that came to visit that customer actually has a solution, they move down through the funnel into a, into a selling phase where the sales engineer, after doing the discovery, has to do a demo, possibly has to do a proof of concept. If it's a big, big uh, product, like if it's over 100K, most people want to actually see it in their lab working or on their computers working, if it's a SaaS. If all goes well, you're getting closer to the to the closing, but now you're, you're closing any technical sale. Like any, you're doing a technical close. So from a technical perspective, you answered all their questions. You showed them that they're going to get money back if they buy your, buy your product. Mm-hmm. Like you solved their problem. At that point, the sales engineer kind of steps back and the account manager takes over again to uh, close the deal. The account manager is the salesperson. So they, they talk sure. about money and, and that's when they close, they ask for the PO and mm-hmm. If it's uh, if they get the PO, the, the deal is closed uh, one. If they don't, it's closed lost, and that's the end of the funnel. So there's kind of two. I'm kind of hearing you describe two elements to this sales process when you're dealing with with IT infrastructure, uh, you know, technical sales, these kind of things. So on the one part, you've got someone who you know, reaches out to your company. They're interested in the product in some way or another. You figure out if there's someone that's, it's actually good for you to spend time with them because they've got money to spend. They've got a problem to solve. They can actually make the decision to buy the product. And you get into that process. There's that person who's going to actually sign off and purchase the thing. But then there's also the the, the technical person who needs to, yes, this is the product that's going to solve the problem for us. Check the box. It's it's good. And it sounds like you're working with that person to make sure all the technical objections have been overcome. The product will meet their needs. And then when that's, that's done, yep, we're all good here. The product's going to do the thing that they needed to do. You hand it back to that account rep who then, as you said, asks for a PO, closes the deal. Yeah. So, there are most, right now most companies don't have a single decision maker. It's like decision by committee. Yeah. This reduces risk on one person. It's not your fault you bought this crappy product. So <laughs> right. generally speaking, there might be one, more than one technical person that I have to close. 
And then, and by close, like I have to prove to them that this will actually help them. Uh-huh. It's not like I'm trying to sell them a product that doesn't work for them because then I will never be able to sell it again uh-huh. or, or they will never be able uh-huh. to get a referral. And then the salesperson has to like, they work with directors, VPs, C, uh, C-level, whoever it is in the, the end decision maker. So would you say you end up dealing with mostly you know, brand new customers, like a prospect who's never bought your product before, or existing customers that are maybe needing to buy more stuff or some new product or, or a mix of both? I deal with both. Uh, well, currently in my current role, I only have an existing customer. Uh, in my previous role, I, I dealt with new, old. It's easier to sell to existing customers than it is to sell to new customers, right? Uh, if you keep the customer happy, if the if you're continuing to solve a problem and not becoming a problem yourself, they're going to keep buying from you. The new customers, it's more fun for me to sell to new customers. When you start selling to existing customers, you become less of a consultant, more of a like a order taker. Let's say you have a, a company that uses Microsoft and they want to add, they have ten new employees. They just buy ten new licenses. Right now, it's a commodity. It's like they just tell you, "Hey, give me ten more licenses, and you're done." Mm-hmm. Whereas a company that's not using anything, and you want to go show them that you're solving a problem, so that fu- that part is more fun than being an order taker. Mm-hmm. But for a salesperson, generally speaking, they like the order taking because it's easier than <laughs> yeah. trying to sell to a new customer. It's pretty easy when uh, all you have to do is take the order to get paid versus actually having to engage deeply to to get that uh, sale uh, won to win the deal. Yeah, well, that's what like that's what account managers are good at. Generally speaking, the sales engineer is the problem solver. Like they're solving the technical problem. They're working from a like from an engineer all the way to a C level to show them that they're solving a problem. The sales guy doesn't get involved until after that, where he asks for the PO. But if the the product already exists, the sales engineer has nothing really to do other than keep the customer happy, which could be a a different team altogether. Mm -hmm. And then the sales guy is just like, yeah, I'll I'll send you the quote. Mm -hmm. Here you go. (laughs) So. Okay, so you do have a lot of customer-facing interaction. You are dealing with, or, or prospective customers anyway. Do you have other customer-facing roles? Like, do you attend a tech event, or do you, you know, speak at conferences, these kind of things? Me, personally, no. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there. Uh, again, you're in control of your destiny. If you want to do that, you should go work for it. But a lot of other companies, like VMware, I have a lot of, lots of friends. Actually, you met one of them, uh, John White. Yeah. Yeah, from, uh, I can't remember their podcast name. They're uh, going to kill me right journey. now. Yes, thank you. They are, they are going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> so he did a presentation at VMworld, mm-hmm. and he was able to do that. I personally don't do that, unfortunately. Working on so, But sales engineers can fulfill that role depending on the company they're in. I, I guess I think of that sometimes as like technical marketing engineers maybe would do that more than a, than a sales engineer. And maybe I'm drawing a distinction where there isn't one. I don't know. Well, there are two different things: sales engineer and sales marketing. Sales engineer are sorry, sales engineer and product marketing. Sales engineer are own an account. They are trying to sell something to a customer. They're trying to solve customer problem. The marketing person does not own an account. He owns more of a product, and he's trying to show the best features of the product. And if they end up working together, they can come up with beautiful solutions. Where, uh, like during a presentation. The sales engineer knows what the customer wants. The product marketing knows what the product does. And if they work together, they can come up with something beautiful that solves the customer problem by highlighting what the product does. 
<laughs> something beautiful. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's like a beautiful baby. Kind well, it's of it's nice to uh, to put it that way because a lot of times we talk about we use expressions like um, you know e- eating their own dog food or um, you know one throat to choke you know these kind of things. But sometimes uh, drinking your own champagne is a is a nicer yeah. uh, expression. Or uh, I heard recently not one throat to choke but one fist to bump. Uh, my friend Ned on Day Two Cloud Podcast came up with that <laughs> there one. You I, go. Which I love it. Uh, it's nice a, to be positive sometimes. Yeah, it's a cup half full outlook. Exactly. <laughs> so, Ramsey, do you have a a post sales function? That is, when the deal's closed, do you walk away? I'm out of here. Woo, job done. Or, or is the customer going to be calling you? Uh, hey, I, I bought it, and you know it went good in the pock, Ramsey. But I got some questions. Yeah. So, for me personally, uh, I do have uh, post sales responsibilities. Other companies may not. Uh, I like having the post sales responsibilities because it helps me build that relationship with the customer. Mm-hmm. So again, it's easier to sell to existing customers than to find new ones. If you keep the existing customer happy by, you know, like for example, if a customer wants to configure OSPF on their, on the test unit that I sold them and they just can't figure it out, I can spend 10, 15 minutes to show them mm-hmm. how to do it. I just created a friend because I spent 15 minutes talking about random stuff. I solved the problem. And now they're happy so that next time they, they have uh, something else to buy, they would think of me first versus the competition. Yeah, you're talking about something I think is is really key in, in any relationship, and that is trust. Um, they now trust you even more because not only did they sell it to you, you didn't just walk away and now they're con- scratching their head, right, in your example, trying to get OSPF configured on this thing and they can't get their head around it. You're there to back them up. You sold them something. You said it would do some things and you're reinforcing that it really can and, and you're there to build that trust. And once you've got that trust built, they'll want to keep talking to you. They'll want to come back and buy something again because they know when you say something will perform a certain task, it it will. A gentleman by the name of John Kerr, he's written the book called Mastering Technical Sales. It's the SE Bible, in my humble opinion. And he has an entire chapter dedicated to becoming a trusted advisor, mm. right? And it is a very important function in our job. People buy from people they like. The only time you would buy from someone you don't like is if you have no other choice. Mm. So as long as there's a, there's a choice, you have to be someone they like and also someone who guides them. Yes. You're not a gopher. You're there to actually, if they tell you, I want to buy OSPF and I'm telling them, you don't need that. You need ISIS, for example. I need to be able to tell them that and not just say, oh, sure, take OSPF, and then it doesn't work in their system. Oh, you, you reminded me of, uh, of a rep that I worked with when I was an F5 customer some years back at a particular uh, business that I supported. Uh, he was my F5 guy that whenever I had any problems, I'd, I'd deal with him. And it wasn't that... I, I was supposed to be calling support, right? I had a support contract on this F5 stuff. I was supposed to be calling Seattle or wherever their support headquarters were at the time and get my answers. But if I was really stuck, man, I would call him because he was a wizard. He knew everything about the product. And I hadn't seen him for some years. And I ran into him at a conference recently, and it was like this happy reunion. You know, this guy that was basically on the sales side. Um, but I trusted him and he'd fix things for me and, you know, we built a lasting relationship uh, that we were both glad to see each other and went out and had dinner. It was fantastic. Yeah, you can make friends as a sales engineer. There's a lot of people who think that sales engineers and the customers are kind of like opponents. Hmm. But no, we have a common goal. Like, I want your stuff to, I want my stuff to work in your environment and you want the same thing, but maybe for different reasons. But it's the end goal that matters more than the reasons. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, part of the sales process, uh, Ramsey, for technical people from an engineer is, is the bake-off or the proof of concept. Um, I'm, I'm assuming, does that happen a lot for you? Do you get involved in those? And, and do you love those or do you kind of loathe them? Oh, it depends on how qualified the deal is. I've had situations where a sales guy comes to me and says, oh, they just want to see X. And then I'm like, I want more information. Like, no, no, they just want to see X. Just go do the POC. Go drop off the equipment. And then I drop off the equipment. It turns out it's the wrong equipment because they wanted to see why. And then I have to scramble. A lot of people do that where, oh, you want licenses? Sure, I'll give you licenses. But why do they want the licenses? Did you qualify that? Did you Do you know what they want to see exactly? Because... A lot of times, proof of concepts, you provide something to the customer, walk away, and they don't use it until the next time you ask them, like, hey, did you use it? Like, oh, no, no, we never had time. So if you manage it properly, it's it's a beautiful thing. Again, I like beautiful, beautiful stuff. If you don't manage it well, it's a nightmare. And it's a waste of time for everybody. When you're in the middle of a puck and it, let's say it's qualified, um, but you're going up against a competitor because it's more of a more of a bake off. They're really trying to make a decision between two or three or four products. Um, how do those engagements go for you? It's situational. So if I am the first person there, like in from the discovery all the way to the bake off, if I'm the first person there and I can provide insight on what they need to test and gear it towards. My, my strengths again mm-hmm. to solve their problem but mm-hmm. using my strengths then it's a good thing if i'm like the last option where like hey, i already have these two vendors that i'm working with and now i need a third vendor just to say i tested three okay call up these guys someone else already set the tone somebody already provided the advice mm. to sh- to sh- against uh, to show their strengths then i have to kind of like fud Fear, uncertainty, doubt, like start seeing yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, dispel the which, FUD that the other vendor might have put in. You're already, you're already kind of on the defense. Um, yeah, yeah. If you can shift the view and say, like, why are you doing that way? We can do it this way, which is much better, and actually show that it will be much better. Then you're you're okay. But if it's, you're just there as column fodder, then it's not going to end well for anybody. <laughs> well, at least not for you. It might end well for the other vendors who are there. Now you're in technical sales. You you work for uh, ICSI, as we mentioned. You you deal with some pretty complex equipment, what it does and how it works, and the sorts of things that it is capable of doing. So, do you have to go through technical training on products? Are there certifications you have to maintain? And for example, I don't have any certifications to maintain. I do have uh, training on the products and how it works. Uh, again, it, it's dependent on the industry you're in. Cisco has a lot of training, not just on the product, but on the port- underlying protocol. So if they have a switch, they need to know how the switch works. They also need to know how what the protocol is supposed to do, like OSBF or ISS or uh-huh. any of that. Uh, a lot of people just end up, know, like for me, if I know how to use the GUI, then I'm okay. The rest, of, everything I do extra is on me, not on the company, because they don't care as long as you know how to use the GUI. And that goes for a lot of companies. Okay, so so your training, you know, for example, you, do you go to like, is it formal within the company or is it, you know, you get a WebEx with someone that's going to kind of hand off their knowledge to you or? So for my company, it's dependent on my initiative. I can call up an account, uh, not an account manager, a product manager, the person who owns the product and tell them like, hey, I need, I need to know more about this technology. I know how to use the GUI, but I'm having a conversation with someone who wrote the standard for segment routing. And I need to know a little bit more about segment routing. Yeah. So that's 
based on my initiative more than the technical or formal training. The formal training is given to us on the product itself. Like, how do you configure segment routing on our product? Not necessarily how segment routing works when you're talking to uh, another vendor. You said the word initiative here. So if I were a sales engineer, it sounds like it would be in my best interest to be as informed and trained as I have time to be, yeah? It is a common struggle that sales engineers have. Uh, Sales engineers are in sales, and they usually work with one or more salesperson. And every salesperson wants them on site as much as possible. And whenever a sales engineer is on site, that means he's not learning his craft. He's not learning more about the protocols, the the product itself. So it's a balancing act. And a lot of sales engineers end up doing this after work hours. Like hmm. uh, When the kids are asleep, they end up staying up to like 10 o'clock, learning about something new because they have a demo the next day about a topic that they have nothing to do. They've never seen it before. That sounds all too familiar for all of us in IT, working after yeah. hours or reading up on the weekends or, or listening to podcasts yeah. on the way to work, just trying to keep up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't think we're special in that, in that sense. A lot of people have to do that. It's just that we have to do it in front of customers and yeah. hopefully not look stupid. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, not, right. Not look stupid, need, needing to be able to deal with that smart as a whip engineer there that just completed some, you know, CCIE program or something and, uh, you know, is, yeah. is, is trying to catch you out. Well, there's a lot of customers that we work with. Some love us, some love the competition and we're sitting in front of them and they're trying to, those who love us are asking questions to make us look good. And right next to them is someone who hates us and trying to make us look bad. <laughs> and we have to make sure that we look good in the end. Yeah. Well, let's move the conversation along uh, from, we've been kind of talking about like what you do, the the role and so on, and then talk about how you're compensated. Um, I've had exposure to sales engineering roles over, over a few years, exposure. I mean, I interviewed for them. I talked seriously and never really went that direction because I didn't, I didn't love how the compensation uh, worked out. So I'm not asking you to tell us, of course, exactly what you get paid, Ramsey, but, but just in a broad sense, how are you compensated? Is there like a percentage of base salary and then some percentage based on, you know, closed deals or a territory or something like that? How, 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 how do you bring home money to the family? The bacon. The bacon. Yeah. And I bring home the bacon. Yeah. I am. Um... I have a usually a big base, and depending on the company, it's uh, between uh, seventy to eighty percent, even ninety percent of my salary is base, and then the rest is commission. And the commission could be based on uh, the amount of sales you get. So you have a quota, and you need to achieve your quota. As the more you achieve in, within your quota, the more money you get paid out of your commission. Or it could be based on objective. You have to do ten demos. If you do 10 demos, you get paid 25% of your commission. Or mm-hmm. you have to do like 15 discoveries, you get paid X amount of your commission. Most, most uh, companies that I know are quota-based. So for every 1% of quota that you sell, you get paid 1% of your commission. And then once you achieve your quota, you may get a bonus. And if you surpass your quota, you may get an accelerator. So instead of getting paid 1%, of commission for every 1% of quota, you get paid 2% of commission for every 1% of quota. That number could change, just an example, but that's usually how it goes with most companies that I've seen. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a sales engineer for, a, for another tech company, 
And uh, he, his base was 70% as well with some, you know, complex calculation on top, you know, that varied uh, yeah. on a variety of things, how many he, uh, how much additional compensation he would get. I find networking companies, I don't know if your, your colleague is in networking, but I find networking companies have 80 to 90% of their salary as base mm-hmm. and then SaaS between 70 and 75. That's my experience with that. Mm. Again, it differs from company to company, but as an industry, that's what I've seen. Now you've mentioned, you know, there's a quota, there's a number there that's tied to, you know, closing deals, but Ramsey, you're the sales engineer. You don't close the deal. Um, your account rep that you're working with a particular deal does. So isn't, I mean, that's a lot of that's kind of out of your control, right? Yeah. Uh, well, it's up to you again. You take the initiative. So account managers have a 50-50 split or a 60-40 split where 50% of their salary is commission. So they are motivated to close the deals. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like we're dealing with people who don't care. Uh, some some have hundred percent commission, and usually they're very uh, they believe in themselves and they make a lot of money. They must really believe hard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> boy, because that's all they need belief. Uh, <laughs> as sales engineers, we do have a lot of control. People think that we don't, but we do because we are involved. We can be as involved as we want or uninvolved as we want. I can be there during the qualification call with my sales guy. I can help them with the script because I know the product more than he does. I know how to help him ask the vision questions. And the vision questions are questions that help customers envision having a solution that works for them. I can be involved all the way to the technical close and even beyond that by calling up my colleagues, those friends that I've made during the sales cycles, like, hey, what's going on? How's that? What's going on? Can I help you with anything? And get information there, which I can then relay to my sales guy, who can then use that information to close the deal. But again, you only only thirty percent of your your salary is tied to the deal or the deals, all of them. And generally speaking, sales engineers make enough money within their base to cover their lifestyle, and everything that comes extra is just extra. So, at least that's how you should negotiate it. If you negotiate a base that's less than your less than what you need for, to live a good life, then you should negotiate for a better salary. Uh, depending on how it's structured in the different companies, it's just it may not work out that way, I guess, for some. But but that is fair. If you think of your base as this is what I live on, and if I get more, great. Then the anxiety of uh, uh, we're not doing very well this quarter. My you know my my additional isn't going to be very good above base. That's going to that anxiety kind of goes away if right you're living within your base, I guess. So I, I know you didn't ask me that question, but generally speaking, the the salary ranges I've seen for sales engineers, the base go between like 100K or let's say 80K for a conservative, whether it's US or Canadian dollars, all the way up to like 150, even 200K. That's the base. Which depending on the region you're living in should be, uh, should be a enough. decent standard of living. Yeah, it should be enough, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and people in the Bay Area get paid more than people somewhere else just because they take the, sta- the standard of living right. into consideration. Yeah. yeah, of course. San Fran being the most expensive place in the world, I think, currently, or pretty close to it. You know, certainly one of the most expensive places in the world to live. I wouldn't want to live there. Let's just put it yeah. that way. <laughs> right. You mentioned accelerators. So is it possible with an accelerator, some kind of a multiplier, that you can earn just kind of like crazy money because a quarter went uh, unbelievably well? Yeah. A lot of a lot of companies don't cap their 
accelerators. Like if you make 300%, you make 300%. Hmm. It's very rare that could ha- that would happen. Like you might have one deal with one customer that's never going to repeat again that doubles your quota and you just made 200% and you made a lot of money. And you're smiling big as the reports are coming. It's like, this yeah. could be good. Yeah. And then you pay for it next year because now your quota is, uh, is, is pushed up. Oh, of course. But But if you do the math, if you make 200% one year and 50% the next year, you still made more money than making 100% both years. Ramsey, I want to talk about the different people that you interact with. We've mentioned your account rep, but I'm curious to know is do you deal with an account rep or do you deal with like a like a pool of them or are you in a pool and any rep can can grab you? How, how does that work? So within my team, like this is for me. I kind of work with half a rep because I'm the hybrid SE, so I'm doing post sales, pre-sales and a little bit of sales. And then my my sales rep kind of closes the deal at the end. Uh, within my team, there are other people who work, like there's three SEs who work with three reps. There, It's not one-to-one, it's three-to-three, whoever's available. Okay, yep. Other companies have one-to-one. Other companies have one, one SE to like three account reps. I know a guy who supports 11 account reps, oh, and I'm talking about field sales engineers, not inside sales engineers where they're not visiting customers. I'm talking about people who fly over to meet customers. One guy covering 11 sales reps. That sounds like too much. But anyway, yeah. yeah. It is crazy. Like he he said that it's crazy. He wasn't complaining about it. He's just he was proud that it's crazy and he's doing it. Then the the normal thing would be a, kind of a pool, it's a territory. You could be working with a lot of different customers um at any given time. Um, are, are there scenarios where you might be dealing with one customer? Because I, I know of account reps who, for very large accounts, that is their account. They That's all they deal with. Yeah, that's my current situation. Okay. I deal with one account and one account only, which is why I'm the hybrid SE, because I'm there and I have access. My colleagues deal with Ottawa and Montreal, so they have geographical territories. Uh, others deal with service providers only. Some deal with enterprise only so again it depends on within one company you have different types of se's we were talking about your relationship with customers earlier and we were talking about trust so you're sitting down in front of that customer and let's say it's a prospect that you've not met before so how do you see your role there because there's there's kind of some conflicting goals here. I mean, you want to close a deal and get paid. That's a big thing. But then the customer's got needs that you also need to understand. You also could be just making recommendations to them that, depending on how you phrase it, may not be in your own personal best interest. You know, what if yeah. you've got a product that you know they say in sales that you you sell what you've got. You know, so do you always sell what you've got, even if it's maybe not the best thing for the customer? How do you balance all of that in your mind? I don't think we have conflicting goals. We have common goals. We want, sure, the reasons are different, but we both want to solve a problem. If I can solve his problem, that means we're going to work well together. Hmm. Now, there isn't one solution I've seen that covers 100% of a customer's problems. So my solution could cover uh, an 80%. My competitor's solution can cover the like uh, overlap of 80%, but not necessarily the same 80%. My my job is to provide that information to the customer, show them how that solving this eighty percent will actually save your business, help your business, whatever it is, and then the information I provide is used by the customer to make that decision. I'm not 
forcing them to make a decision. If my solution does not solve their problem whatsoever, I would recommend somebody else mm-hmm. because maybe down the line, they will need something that I can solve for them. If I try to force my solution on them and it doesn't work whatsoever, I just lost all credibility. goes back to trust again then. Yeah. yeah. Like you have to keep your credibility. You can't lie to the customer. They're going to find out. Most customers are so technically savvy these days and they can go on YouTube and find out information that within five minutes that, oh, you just lied to me and you lost credibility. Yeah, the internet's a great equalizer. I was buying a car and uh, one of the, yeah. the sales rep I was working with was mentioning that the internet's just changed the game because everyone can find out exactly what's going on and what a fair price is for something and all the rest of it. And it's how they sell cars has been fundamentally changed because of the internet. Yeah. And again, most sales engineers are engineers. There are some sales engineers who are not engineers, but most of the ones that I know are engineers. And the engineers that I know are more interested in solving the problem than selling. Hmm. Right, yeah. it is their passion. Uh, if they wanted to like make more money, they probably would have went like into like Wall Street or being a lawyer. Yeah. But they like solving problems. They like playing with their hands, and the rush comes from solving the problem more than the PO, yeah. because a lot of SEs don't even know if the PO came in. They yeah. just, I'm solving a problem. So that's the common interest. I've had more issues with my salesperson trying to tell them that we don't solve that problem for the customer than with the customer themselves. Like try to convince the salesperson that we can't sell them anything. Like, what do you mean we can't sell them anything? We just came and spent like an hour with these guys. And again, that's not all salespeople, but some salespeople are like that. And you kind of have to work with them to show them like, we're not going to solve anything. We're going to waste our time. We're going to waste their time. They're not going to buy. And if we waste their time, they're never going to buy from us. And then we have to part ways. You've exposed a, a challenge that that some sales reps have in a technical field if they're not overly technical themselves. If they don't understand what it's like to be in in IT, let's say, and the kind of products and uh, that solve what kind of problems, then that rep might not know what they can sell and, and then what they can't sell and why. So, is is part of your role to to both clarify for the rep, hey, we can't. We, we, we got nothing to sell them, but then also to unearth opportunities to like find things that you could sell them that that account rep maybe isn't aware of. So I find myself as a trusted advisor for both the customers and the account managers. Hmm. And if I tell the, my account manager every single time that, no, we cannot sell them anything, I'm going to lose credibility with, with him. But yeah, I, like, I do want to sell. It's not like I don't want to sell. I want to solve a problem too. If I can think of a creative way that my product can, can solve that customer's problem that no one has ever thought of. One, I just closed the deal. Two, I have bragging rights against everybody in my team that I solved the problem that you've never even heard of. <laughs> right. right. So it, it, that, that's the fun part of sales engineering. You are still an engineer who's trying to solve problems. Now, a lot of the people listening to this podcast, Ramsey, they're going to be people you're selling to, and they're on the engineering side. They're the people with their uh, their, their their shoulder deep in a rack, you know, mounting equipment and running cables and configuring things, and you know, and all of that stuff. And a lot of these people are cynical, Ramsey, and they look at you and they go, "I got to deal with this guy." You know, this guy is going to try to sell me things I don't want. They're really cynical. How do you how do you deal with that person? What's your strategy to deal with that cynical engineer embittered with a decade of frustrating purchases and yeah. so on in IT? So ninety percent of the customers I've met don't have that opinion of sales engineers. They know that sales engineers are the engineers and they're not as tied to the deal as the salesperson. 
we do have those cynical uh, customers who just don't like anybody. And, uh, <laughs> right. We can't force them to do anything. We have to help them get the idea themselves. So you can ask questions that will, again, build a vision for them. Like, hey, if you do this, how would that solve your problem? And then they start thinking about it. And they realize that they came up with a solution more than I came up with a solution. I was just there to guide them. We're on a very short leash with them. So if they find out we misspoke once, not necessarily lied, but we gave them wrong information by accident, we kind of lose credibility. So we have to make sure we're always on par. If we do make a mistake, we have to correct it before they find out. Just make sure everything you're saying is honest, truthful, and and correct. And at some point, you can't control everybody. You can... You can try to be nice as possible. The big company that I worked for was Alcatel Lucent. And I was a network design there, in network design. And I was sent to a company who hated Alcatel Lucent. They wanted Cisco. And they were, they were not nice to me from day one. And I took everything they said as a joke. So they'd say something mean to me. I would joke back with them. By the end of the like week I was there with them, we became friends. Mm-hmm. I wasn't because I, I just wasn't flustered. Again, I, w- I didn't really care about the sale. We already made it. I wasn't post-sales at the time. But that built a relationship. So if you can build a relationship, just if someone's being mean to you, be nice. Make a joke if they, they can take a joke. And try to build that personal relationship uh, as well as the technical. You really just hit something um, important there, I think. Um, when you're in that sales role, you're representing a company. And it could be that the people you're working with have something against the company, maybe not you yep. personally. And so when they're being derogatory, giving you a hard time, like you were giving in this this Alcatel uh, sale you made when, when some of the people that were there would have rather had Cisco, they weren't bagging on Ramsey. It, you just happened to be the face of something that they were displeased about. And, and, and yeah, you didn't take it personally. You just joked back with them. And by the end of the yeah. week, you had friends. Well, most of, the, most of the people, unless I do something negative to them, I personally do something negative to them, don't really care about me. They care about the company that I'm working yeah. with. So if I can get them to like me, they will like the company that I'm working with, possibly. Mm-hmm. They may like you and still hate the company. Just be personable, I guess. That, that's the hard part about being a sales engineer. You're kind of balancing both multiple aspects. You're balancing the technical stuff, you're balancing the relationship stuff, and you're balancing the business. And that's why there aren't that many sales engineers in the world. Do you feel that prospective customers sometimes overlook you as a possible resource that um, you know, that they don't recognize the value that you can bring? You know, may, like maybe some again going back to some cynicism. Maybe some engineers that are trying to figure out a product are like, oh, I don't want to deal with the the you know the the sales engineer. They're just gonna you know bulldozer over me and you know and manipulate me, and I don't want to deal with that. So I got I got to look at this product on my own and figure it out so I can make a fair decision. Well, most people do that, but. If the, if the product is complex enough, there comes a point where the sales engineer has to get involved. And that's the opportunity to prove that we're not there to change your mind or bulldoze. We're, there, we're here to help you. And you can do that from the first discovery meeting. If in the first discovery meeting, you listen to what they have to say, most sales engineers that I see talk 90% of the time, which is weird because we're engineers. We don't like to talk, but we enjoy our product so much that we just want to give all the information out. But if we can listen to what the problem is and then respond to those, we, we build trust that way. So, I mean, in, in fairness then, is it, 
is it reasonable to say that a customer should reach out to Ramsey in this case and say, hey, man, I'm working with this thing, trying to make up my mind if I want to buy it and I'm stuck here. Uh, help me out. And that, do people do that? And if they don't, they should do that. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying they end up doing that anyways. If they can make a decision on their own, yep. then you know the, the product is not complex enough. You can figure it out. You, like, yep. You're a smart enough person to know if this is going to work for you or not. But if the product is complex, you you can figure it out. But then you have to spend weeks trying to figure it out, which means you're not doing your other job. Yeah, there is an expert out there that can help you. And if you're concerned about that one expert not being truthful to you, hmm. there are other products out there that you, like this is go this goes against my self interest. Where I'm telling someone like go ask the other guy too about the product about their product and see which one is better. Right in the end. I can sell it to you, but if you make the decision to buy and it turns out not to be a good decision, it's on you. Like f- from your company's perspective, from your perspective, it's on me, and you're never going to buy from me again. But your manager is going to blame you. I'm probably projecting some of myself and my own past experiences, where <laughs> I look at the salespeople in the room and go, "All right, they're going to try to pull one over on me, so I got to be, you know, very vigilant and you know, stay out in front of this and and, and don't involve them overly much." And and that was probably a you know an immature way to look at it. You know, a lot of times, I, I could have. Well, you talked about you know taking weeks. Yeah, I remember being in some scenarios where I just beat my head against something trying to figure it out when I could have had a shortcut to the answer I needed if I was just willing to pick up the phone and call, in this case, you. Yeah, well, the problem is, so there are some salespeople who give the majority of salespeople a bad name. I've interacted with, I don't know, 10, 15 salespeople, let's say. Most of them are good people. Not just like good people as in they're good salespeople. Like they want to help more than anything else. There is that one person. I don't know. I made a joke earlier before we started the podcast about learning something that's useless. Like what's the second coldest capital in the world from one salesperson who everybody described as a sleazy salesperson, Hmm. which gave everybody else behind him or after him a bad name. And it's that person, that salesperson that you're worried to talk to. You're worried about talking to. But the other salespeople that I've worked with are actually helpful and they care and they wouldn't want to sell you something that doesn't work because they know it's bad for their reputation. Are there other incorrect assumptions that IT engineers might make about sales engineers? I've heard one uh, where someone said, oh, a sales engineer is an engineer who couldn't hack it as a in the <laughs> oh, real world. That's cold. Okay. Yeah. I've heard uh, sales engineers lose their technical skills when they become sales engineers, hmm. which depending on your initiative, that could be true. But also depends most, on your definition of technical skills. Um, does it mean you can't remember the latest CLI command for some, some obscure routing configuration? What, what does that mean? It means different things to different engineers. Yeah. So my technical skills like I'm an expert in my product. I might not be an expert in your product, right? But I'm still an expert in my product, which I would qualify me as a sales engineer, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot, a lot of people think those two things. You couldn't mm-hmm. hack it. You're a salesperson. You couldn't hack it, or uh, you lose your technical abilities as a sales engineer. Interesting. And yeah, and obviously we're saying that those things aren't aren't necessarily true. And I, yeah, I, I would agree with that just because I've been in a situation where I could have been a sales engineer and decided not to. I just 
you know, I would have rather done other things where I was uncomfortable with the compensation or whatever. Didn't have anything to do yeah. with my, you know, skill that, uh, oh, gosh, I can finally go to sales. I don't understand how any of this stuff works anymore. <laughs> nothing to do with that at all. If you're a sales engineer, you could probably hack it as an engineer, yeah. not necessarily the other way around because you're still technical. Yes. You're just using some people skills with it versus being uh, like a software engineer where the majority of your work is sitting in front of a computer writing code. You can learn that. I think that is the challenging combination right there. And to find an engineer is, is one thing. Those people are out there. But to find an engineer who's an effective communicator, someone who can interact with people in an effective way, that, that's tough. That's a tough combo yeah. to find. Well, I, like, when I went to university, I studied engineering because I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to write reports. Right, And then I left uh, university, and this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm, talk I'm an introvert by nature. <laughs> yeah. right? I find it hard to talk to people like if there's some random person, I don't I don't want to go and introduce myself, but now I have to. But I then I take time away and relax after. So, well, okay. So for an introvert, you've certainly done a lot beyond just your job role to um to to have to in interact with people. You've created this community, we the sales engineers. So so give me the pitch, man. If I'm a sales engineer, how does your community, we the sales engineers, uh, help me? The whole point of the sales engineers, I started it was because I didn't know if I was doing a, a good job as a sales engineer. There are big companies like Cisco, VMware, who provide training for their SEs. A lot of smaller companies, like the companies I've worked for, do not have any training. You're, you're, you're learning on the job. And for the first year and a half, I did something called spray and pray. Have you heard of that? Yeah, well, it, what it, I think it means is you try a whole lot of different things and see what works. Yeah, like you bring up a PowerPoint slide of every single product that you sell. You just go through them click by click. Is this interesting to you? Is this interesting to you? We can do this. Is this interesting to you? Oh, death by PowerPoint for the customer. Yeah. Yeah, it's like show up and throw up, spray and pray, like all these nice uh, nice words. I, it wasn't until a year and a half later when my VP saw me do this, and he looked at me and said, Ramsey, you suck. <laughs> and I thought I was doing great. I hit my quota every year. Wait, what do you mean I suck? Like you didn't do any discovery. Like what? What's the discovery? Mm. That's a year and a half into my job. As you can tell, I I didn't know what sales engineer was before I joined. From that point, I decided like I want to learn, and the best way for me to learn was to talk to people, talk to other SEs. Why would other SEs want to talk to me? Uh, well, let's do a podcast. That's how the podcast started. So the, the whole website is to provide information for other sales engineers, whether it's through video, if you like to watch videos, like on YouTube, whether through a podcast or blogs. And right now I'm creating a forum for sales engineers for a place where everybody can come in and actually have discussions on the forum. It's a family of sales engineers, basically. Yeah, okay. So yeah, it really is a community, a family. Um, you, you mentioned training, like a lot of companies don't have any formal training. So it, it doesn't sound like this is a formal training offering, but it certainly fills a gap there. Yeah, not, not today. Today is just, uh, is just providing free information. Mm -hmm. At some point in the future, I might do some online training. I'm not sure yet, but right now I just want to, I want, there isn't, if you look online, there's like a billion website for sales, a billion and one website for engineers, nothing for sales engineers. Hmm. And the sales engineer skill set is very different than both engineering and sales. Hmm. I wanted to provide that for now. If it, if it evolves into something else in the future, then so be it. But right now, I haven't thought about that. 
So, so let's say I'm an implementation engineer. That's typically where I've lived. I've lived in ops. I've lived in more post-sales, you know, that kind of world. I've, I have done consulting and done a little bit of pre-sales, and, and, uh, as, but mostly post-sales, you know, actually putting the thing in and making it work and then walking away. Um, now, let's say I'm that person. I'm that sort of a, an engineer, mostly uh, implementation. Don't really get involved in the sales side much, but I've got this opportunity. It's looking at me. It's interesting. I've got that base plus commission thing, and I'm scratching my head going, oh, I don't know what I think about that. Sh- should I go for it? Should I Should I try the sales engineer thing? Do you, Are there maybe resources you'd offer on We the Sales Engineers that can help me make the decision? So there's a lot, there's a ton of resources on We the Sales Engineers. There's blogs about what it's like to be a sales engineer, the pros and cons of being a sales engineer. There's interviews with around 70 sales engineers or people in that industry that can help you make that decision. Uh, I also have like an email course. It's it's free email course that talks about deciding what you want for your future, building your career path. Hmm. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of resources out there. You can reach out to me personally if you want to talk about it. I think sales engineering is the best job in the world, again. I mentioned that before we started, mainly because of financial security, the ability. If I'm tired of talking to people, I can sit behind a desk and work on my demos or learn. If I'm tired of sitting behind a desk and learning, I can go talk to people. I personally think it's the best job in the world. And if you go to wethesalesengineers.com, shameless plug, (laughs) there's a lot of information there. No, that, thank you for the shameless plug. That's uh, that was part of what. Um, well, we, that, that's how we met. We ran into each other because of that site and just chatting a little bit. Since we both have yeah. kind of you know, similar things that we do with podcasting and online communities and all that stuff. So, so, so shameless and and appropriate. So, th- thanks thank for you. sharing that. My pleasure. So, Ramsey, I think we're kind of at the end of our time here. Uh, is there anything else that you want to mention? Like you mentioned, people could reach out to you. Uh, do you have a Twitter handle or, or email or anything else that you want to mention? Yeah, so I'm at We the SEs on Twitter, uh, Ramsey Marjabal on LinkedIn, uh, We the Sales Engineers on LinkedIn. My email is Ramsey at We the Sales Engineers.com because I'm being original. You can reach out to me in any way, shape, or form. And I would like people to share this podcast just so people can know about the role. People don't know about sales engineering. You may have talked to one or two, but most people don't know about it, don't know that it exists. And that it's a good, it's a fulfilling career path. And thank you for the opportunity. Well, I thank you for spending the time on uh, Network Neighborhood. This is the fourth we've done this year on the Packet Pushers Community Channel, the fourth Network Neighborhood episode that we did uh, starting these in uh, 2019. And I have enjoyed these, uh, chatting with uh, folks like Ramsey, and uh, we've chatted with people in marketing. And uh, and those of you that are listening, that you've only been exposed to technology from your own routing and looking at a command line or something, I'm hoping that you're getting a bigger sense of what goes on in the IT industry. And of course, this is part of the Packet Pushers podcast network. We got lots and lots of episodes, most uh, quite detailed and technical designed for your professional career development. That's all at packetpushers.net. We have a newsletter, Human Infrastructure Magazine. You can sign up for that at uh, packetpushers.net. Um, if you want to contact us, uh, you can tweet at Packet Pushers. You can follow us on LinkedIn. Um, take a minute and rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. And if you want to support us with uh, your own dollars, you can do that. Become a premium member at ignition.packetpushers.net. Um, you get uh, not just the sweet satisfaction of having shared some of your hard-earned dollars with the Packet Pushers, but also access to our library that is growing every week of uh, premium content. 